Good morning. Scripture reading for this morning is going to be out of 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. There should be a black pew Bible in the pew in front of you. It'll be off of page 1178. Give you a chance to turn there. Again, that's page 1178 in the Black Pew Bible, 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 7. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if, any, for if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may be puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall. Think about it as a child. Um, think about it. Go back when you were a child. What did you want to be when you, um, when you grew up? Think about it. Do you have like these dreams, these aspirations, what you want to be? When you, um, let me ask, I'm going to ask, I'm gonna, we'll start at the bottom, okay? I'm going to ask some kids, okay? Um, let me ask somebody here. Who, uh, I'm looking for a child here. Addie, what do you want to be when you grow up? A teacher. Yeah, she wants to be a teacher. Well, that's awesome. Troy, what do you want to be when you grow up? A truck driver. Awesome. Follow his daddy's footsteps. There you go. Good. Lacey? A pediatrician. Great. Good deal. Awesome. Um, I'm looking for Drew. I don't see Drew. Is she in here? She left. Yeah, she uh, she left because I was going. I told her I was going to call on her. And she said she wanted to be a farmer. And then Chris, uh, being the jokester he is, off the he coming off the heels of last week, uh, he told her to say preacher, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Uh, students, what about you? Any aspirations? Any dreams? What do you want to be when you grow up? Any thoughts? Alexis, what do you want? To, do you have any thoughts about what you might want to do? All right, engineer. Anybody else? No, everybody's going. No, I don't really have any. If they're going, no, I have no. I don't really want to do anything. That's probably you need to be parents. You need to be giving lighting a fire under them. Okay. Uh, well, um, think about adults. What about you, adults? What do you want to be when you were younger? Any. <laughs> he wanted to be retired. Well, you got it, Uncle. You 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 made it. Anybody else? Think about it. I mean, I'm looking around. I'm seeing all the vocations represented here, right? And 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 a lot of you aren't doing what you thought you would do, and that's fine, right? Um, I know when I was uh, a, a boy, I loved. We hunted and fished. That was a big part of our lives. Um, big part of our lives. Um, we were going to be at church Sunday morning. We're going to be at church Sunday night. We're going to be at church Wednesday night, and we're going to hunt two or three days out of the week. That was just a part of my life. We hunted and fished a lot. So I wanted to be a game warden because I thought, man, have a job that was associated with hunting and fishing. That was kind of what I wanted to be when I was uh, a youngster. But nobody, very few people ever say they want to be a, a pastor. Um, in fact, in, never in a million years... What I've ever thought I'd have been a pastor. Lonnie, you ever think I'd have been a pastor? No, <laughs> me neither. Uh, that wasn't my dream. When I was 18, I just graduated, I, I just finished my freshman year of college. My pastor asked me to work with students. I didn't have a desire to work with students. I didn't feel like I was qualified to work with students, but I wanted to please my pastor. And I just, I would have done anything he asked me to do. And so I worked with students that summer. And after the summer, um, the church said, well, how about you do like a part-time gig and work with students while you're going to college? And so I did that. Uh, my sophomore, junior, and senior year, I would drive home on Wednesday nights and then on the weekends a lot of times uh, to do 
student work. Um, but when I graduated, I graduated in December, and the church had just built the Family Life Center, and they wanted to have a student and a recreation pastor. And they said, well, what about doing that? And I thought, well, okay, I'll do that for just a little while, but I thought it was going to be a short-term thing because I had all these other ideas about what I was going to do. And so I did that for a while and really enjoyed it. I began to enjoy working with students, enjoyed church life. Um, um, my church family was very good to me, and, and, um, and so that's what I did. And, and it took about a year into that full-time gig that I realized, you know, my desires began to change. And I began to not think so much about doing other things. Like, I think I like teaching the Bible and loving people and shepherding people. And what happened over the uh, course of those years of part-time ministry while I was in college and then after full-time is the church began little by little just to affirm my giftings um, and then con confirm uh, a calling on my life to do ministry. So that's kind of the Cliff Notes version of how I became a pastor. Never thought I'd ever be a pastor. I've never, in fact, I've never done anything I ever thought I would do in life. But that's kind of the progression of how that happened, how I became a pastor. Little by little, I began to have a desire to teach the Bible and to shepherd people and to care for folks, care for people's souls. Well, our letter... Uh, that we're studying, First Timothy, was written about anywhere between 62 and 64 A.D. Paul wrote this letter to Timothy, his disciple, his son in the faith. He had been released from prison. He's gone to Macedonia, but he left Timothy in Ephesus to take care of some things there in the church. He's writing back to Ephesus, to Timothy, um, to, to encourage him. We see in chapter 1, we see Paul urging Timothy to confront the false teachers who were neglecting the gospel, and they were teaching nonsense, right? Meaningless, useless teachings. Their teachings didn't produce, right? They didn't, didn't, didn't change people's minds. It didn't change people's hearts. It didn't lead to a life of love like the gospel did. And so the example that is given is Paul. It says, like me. Yeah, I heard the gospel, and that changed my life, unlike the teachings of the false teachers. In chapter 2, Paul urges them to, to be a prayerful people, to intercede for those in authority so the lost can be saved. Then he addresses women. What about women's roles in the church? And he says that women should be concerned with appropriate conduct in the church, which doesn't include having authority teaching men. But she should be known for her good works, not her good looks, right? And then after addressing the women, Paul will begin now addressing the men. And we see the first point of our sermon from verse 1. Whomever desires to do the work of a pastor desires something good, really good, right? Verse 1, the saying is trustworthy. And that's four, four times we'll see that phrase used in the pastoral epistles. And when we're finished 1 Timothy, we're going to study 2 Timothy and Titus. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, and anytime you see overseer, you see elder, you see pastor, you might see bishop in some translations, they're all the same as pastor. Okay? We're in our Baptist church, we're familiar with pastor, and that's a term I'll, I'll use. If anyone desires to the office of overseer, pastor, he desires a noble task. Now, aspiring is desiring. If you desire, but it's not just desire like, okay, Hey, where are we going to go eat after church today? You might want barbecue and you go, huh, ah, yeah, that's okay. Not that kind of desire, but like a desire. Like if you ask Seth, whenever we go on road trips, we, we travel, um, we're not a typical family, I guess, when you say oh, where we're going to eat. We're always looking for a Chinese restaurant or an Asian restaurant, right? We're not thinking about McDonald's, Subway, none of that. We're like, how can we whip in there, call ahead, order, let's get some Chinese, and we're eating chopsticks, right, going down the road, right? driving with your knee. Um, so if you ask Seth what he wants to eat, he's always going to say, without a doubt, Chinese. But it's not like, ah, Chinese. No, he's like, I want Chinese. I want Chinese food. Like, it's that aspire, that desire. You're like reaching out to get something, right? So if you desire, really desire to pastor, that's a really good thing. It's a noble thing. It's a good thing, right? 
But, but what you're desiring and you're craving and reaching after is not the position. It's not the position. Like being a pastor, you have a, you're in a position of authority. It is a position of authority. It's a position of influence. But that's not what you're aspiring after. Oh, I don't want the position. It's not like a work, like, okay, I'm working at a, um, a plant or a factory, and you want to be the supervisor. Why do you want to be the supervisor? Because I can tell everybody what to do. Right? It's not that kind of, oh, I want the position. So much so as, no, I want the work. There's a difference. Position or work, it's both, but you're not aspiring, to, oh, I, I want to be the manager. Like some people want to be a supervisor of a work, but you don't really want to manage all these knuckleheads, right? But no, if you aspire to be a pastor, you aspire to do the work of a pastor. What is the work of a pastor? Well, Ephesians chapter 4, we'll look at a couple verses to, to help us with that. Verses 11 through 13 help us understand that a little better. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That's the job of the pastor, to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. It's to do the work, but also to equip the saints to do the work. For building up the body until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, and to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Your pastor teaches and disciples and equips the flock, equips the church to do the work of the ministry. Things like teaching how to share the gospel, teach how to study the Bible, teach how to confront sin, how to rebuke, how to ask forgiveness, all those things, right? Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your soul. So that's another way to describe a pastor's work. They keep, keep watch over people's souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So you're keeping watch over the souls of people. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1 through 3. So I exhort the elders among you. Elders, they are pastors, right? As a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed shepherd the flock of God that is among you exercising oversight not under compulsion but willingly as God would have you not for shameful gain but eagerly not domineering over those in your charge but being examples to the flock so two two phrases there verse two shepherd the flock and then verse three being examples to the flock. So that's other descriptions of a pastor and what he does. He's an example of how to live his life, how to handle situations, how to um, carry himself. You're shepherding the flock. And, and many use this phrase, called to ministry. You ever heard that? Have you been called to the ministry? And I could ask that of each of us. Have you been called to the ministry? What's the answer? Yeah, we've all been called to the ministry, right? We're all believers. We're all followers of Jesus. So because we're followers of Jesus, we have to obey him. So we're all called to do ministry. Are you a minister of the gospel? You can say, yeah, I'm a minister of the gospel. We're all believers. If you are a believer, then you're called to ministry. You're called to do what God tells us to do in his word. We have different gifts, and we should be using them for the building up of the kingdom. That's the, the picture of the, the body of Christ, right? We're all different, just like body parts. We have a different function, but you put it all together, and it works. And that's the way it is with the church. We all have different giftings. We all have different uh, things we bring to the table that we can offer the church. And so we use those together for the building up of the body so the body can mature. Yeah. But then another question I'll ask you, are you called to the ministry? That's, that's a little different. We're all called to minister, but are you called to the ministry? Meaning, are you going to pastor? Are you going to shepherd people? Well, we said last week, that's not for everybody. Right? Pastor is for men in the church, right? We have different roles. But if you're a man, are you called to the ministry? Do you have a... And one thing, having a desire to do ministry, to do the ministry, to be a pastor is a, is a good thing. 
But just because you have the desire to be a pastor doesn't mean that you're called to be one. You have to have more than desire in order to be a pastor. It's like this. You might want to be a jockey, but if you're 6'4", 250, <laughs> unless you race in Clydesdales, right, it's not going to happen. You can have a desire to do it. That doesn't mean that that's what the Lord wants you to do. But I think, firstly, you have to have a desire. Because I think what you're going to see here, as we read through the qualifications of a pastor we're going to get to in just a moment, there's a lot of us in this room that meet those qualifications. There's a lot of folks in this room that meet these qualifications. But not all of you want to be pastors. You don't have that desire. Right? God hasn't given you that desire to be a, a pastor. I had a lady this week, in fact, I'm counseling her family um, through some difficulty, and she was talking about her job change. And she just used this word calling. So, yeah, I was, I was called out of that job, and I've been called to this other job, and the Lord's put me somewhere else. And sometimes we use that word calling. I don't really use that much because it's real confusing because everybody uses it for different, has different meanings. <laughs> But she, what, what she meant was that she can see God providentially taking her out of one job and putting her in another. And she used the word calling. And desire is one indicator that we may be called to the ministry. But there's other things, too. You can't just desire to be a pastor. But there's also giftings that come along with that, right? There's also character that come along with that. And we're going to look at that. Primarily, that's what we're going to be doing in just a moment, the qualifications of a pastor. You look at the character of the pastor, his testimony, if you will. How's he put together? There's also affirmation from the church and from church leadership that's got to be combined with that desire. And we see this on the screen here. You have desire to, to be a, a, a shepherd, to be a pastor. You have the abilities and giftings that God's given us. Our testimony, that means our character, right, that we're going to look at in just a moment. And then affirmation from the church and, and other leaders equals calling. Like I said, I don't use that word a lot just because I think it's thrown around a whole bunch. You know, are you called to the ministry? We're all called to ministry. We're Christians. But are we called to the ministry? Do I want to be a, does God want me to pastor and shepherd? And it's interesting, talking about ability and talking about affirmation from the church. More times than not, it's the church that brings to a person's attention that they're gifted for ministry. That's what happened in my life. I'm just doing ministry, and then people begin to say, yeah, you're kind of good at doing this. That was really helpful. The way you teach the Bible has been really helpful to me. And so you have these, over time, these comments that, yeah, I think you're, you're good at, at leading people. You do a good job handling. You did a good job handling that situation. That showed good leadership skills. So you hear those over time. Okay. Usually that, that's what happens in people's lives. The church affirms that, and pastors and people that are in shepherding them notice those things in their lives and brings those to their, their attention. And when I talk about being a pastor, I don't necessarily mean vocational pastoring. We need to understand that. I'm a vocational minister, right? I work full-time at the church, and it's awesome because I get to, like, as I was telling this family, they don't go to our church. They're in our community. Some of them are believers, some of them aren't, but I get to shepherd them. I mean, I get to love them and counsel them. I can do that because I'm full-time. I have time to do that. I get to do funerals of people in our community. I get to visit with people that aren't a part of our church because I'm full-time. But being called to the ministry, being a that doesn't mean that you're vocational, that you're supported by the church financially. It could be that you're a pastor and you're not. We call that a lay pastor. Okay? In fact, when I, when I was, uh, I thought I would be, when I first started thinking about ministry, I thought, well, here I'm supported, but it may be where I'm teaching school and I'm pastoring and I don't get a salary at all. You know, I work full-time, and then I, 
a pastor at a smaller church. Yeah, that happens a lot. But there has to be a desire. There has to be a desire. This desire to, to teach the Bible and to share with people. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he's one of the greatest preachers of the 20th century. And before he began pastoring, he was a physician, a very well-known physician. He had quite a practice, very successful. But over time, he, began to, he just developed a, a really a, a strong desire to teach the Word. And he says this about his uh, desire. He says, you do your utmost to push back and to rid yourself of this disturbance in your spirit, which comes in these various ways. He's talking about this desire to teach the Bible. But you reach the point when you cannot do so any longer. It's al it almost becomes an obsession and so overwhelming that in the end you say, I can do nothing else. I cannot resist this any longer. So he gives up his practice, successful practice of being a physician, and he becomes a pastor. Charles Spurgeon says this, if you can do anything else, speaking of anything else but pastor, do it. If you can stay out of the ministry, stay out of the ministry. Yeah, there's a strong desire if you want to do ministry to, to do it. 1 Corinthians 9, 16, Paul, for if I preach the gospel, that gives me no, round, no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Like, man, I, I want to teach the Bible. I want to shepherd people. I want to teach the word. Again, that, that may be vocationally or otherwise, but it's a strong desire. So the first point, whoever desires to do the work of a pastor desires something good. It's a good thing. It's a noble thing. It's an awesome thing. In fact, I'm, sometimes I look around and say, why don't everybody want to do this? And there's some days where I'm thinking, now I know why not everybody wants to do this, right? Yeah. Second point from verse 2, a pastor should be above reproach. And I've got here spiritually mature. Maybe I should put there, I don't know, Brian, maybe spiritually maturing, right? Because we're all, no, none of us have arrived. Pastors are in the, we're still in the sanctification process, right? Just like everyone else, just like lay people. Above reproach. It's kind of the umbrella qualification that all the others fall under. So for what we're going to do in just a second, our third point is going to be, well, okay, what does it mean to be above reproach? But I think it means, it doesn't denote perfection, of course, right? Ask my wife, ask Michael, right? Yeah, yeah, I'm not a perfect person for sure. But I think what this word means above reproach is there's no glaring, obvious defect. Their life's not dominated by sin. They're a fighter against sin, and they're, they're overcoming sin in their life. Um, but they're a moral person. They give you no reason to question their integrity. I think that's maybe a, a good explanation of above approach. But then verses, the second part of verse 2 through 7, it's a third point, is being above approach means what? Well, husband of one wife. Let's just go through these descriptions kind of quickly. I'll just go through each one. What does it mean to be the husband of one wife? Well, it means, you've heard this before, a one-woman man. I think this is referring to fidelity. Is he faithful to his wife? He's not a womanizer. He's not one who's easily distracted looking here and looking there. You know the type, right? And I don't think it's referring to polygamy. Sometimes they think, well, back then they had more than one wife. I, I, that's not what this is referring to, I don't believe. And I also don't mean, I don't think it means that a single man can't pastor. And some would hold that argument. Well, you need to be married in order to pastor because of this text. I don't think that's what they're referring to because the Apostle Paul was single. And some may beg to differ, and that's fine, but I don't think that's what that's referring to. Also, this is maybe kind of shocking for some of you. We're, we're kind of a traditional church, and I know our, the church's approach or, or, or understanding of this verse traditionally over the years has been that if someone is divorced, they can't pastor. And that may be the case, for sure. But I think what's, what's being handled here, what's being addressed here is the character of the man. For example, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, if you read through that passage, it's on divorce and remarriage. We, we call it biblical divorce, biblical remarriage. And we've talked through that here at the church uh, several times. Um, I think... This situation has to be handled just like divorce. Can someone who's divorced be remarried? What well, depends. Go to 1 Corinthians 7. 
what are the, what are the situation behind their doors? If they're abandoned, right? If their spouse has been unfaithful continually, right? Are they, and it says, Paul says, they're, in that case, the person, the innocent person is free. And I think free means, I think means to be, can they remarry? I think so. So I think you do the same thing here. What about someone who's divorced? I think you look at the situation behind their, their marriage and their divorce and what's that look like? Were they innocent? So can someone who's divorced qualify to be a pastor? In my opinion, I think possibly so. Possibly so. Not necessarily so, but possibly so. I think that the text is similar to the one in chapter 5, verse 9, when it talks about the widows, putting the widows on the list of widows. You know, some could be put on the list, some couldn't. Look over there. Flip over there real quick. First uh, Timothy chapter 5, verse 9. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband. And having a reputation for good works. And it goes on and on and on to explain this woman's life. I think the same approach should be taken in, in chapter 3 as well. Let the widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband. The meaning of the text, I think the same as it is in chapter 3, verse 2. To be added to the widow's list, a widow would have to be a one-man woman. Which means she's faithful to her husband. Was she faithful? So I think for a man who wants to be a pastor, the church should answer the question, what's the quality of his marriage if he's married? Is he a one-woman man? Is he faithful? Is there fidelity towards his wife? And there may be some disagreements there, and we can talk about that. That's the great thing about small groups, right? That's why, that's why I love small groups. The, the week after, we look at the same text that I teach through because there's a lot of things that we can't spend time on here or we choose not to spend time on here, right, that you can discuss in small groups. I think that's helpful. You'll, you can have that discussion there, but that's kind of my thoughts on that. Again, we're looking at the character of a man. Does he qualify to be a pastor? Is he a one-woman man? Is he the husband of one wife? Next, sober-minded, self-controlled, and respectable. I think it, here, just clear-headed. Is he a clear thinker? Tom Schreiner explains these characteristics this way. He acts in a sane and reasonable way, so he represents the character of God in Christ well, both in the church but also in the world. So I think um, you look at him, you look at his life, what happens, John, when his tee shot goes in the woods? How does he react? Or when the waitress gets the order wrong at the restaurant? after you've been waiting for a long time for your food? How does he respond? Is he sober-minded? Is he self-controlled? Is he respectable? Is he in the habit of getting in his wife's face and screaming? Is he respectable? Does his life evoke adoration? Does his life evoke honor? And I think pastors being respectable here, it corresponds with the church's responsibility to respect its pastors. Look, uh, 1 Corinthians 5, 12 through 13. No. Okay, let me read it for you. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. It says, respect those who labor among you. That's 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 13. So the church is called to respect the pastors, right? But good pastors help the congregation do that. Your life should be where it's easy for your church to respect you. God desires the church to respect the pastor, and the pastor should be respectable. So as your pastor, it ought to be easy for you to respect me. When somebody asks you about your church, about your pastor, it ought to be easy for you to say things about your pastor. Let's move on. Hospitable. Hospitable. In, in Paul's day, Timothy's day, inns where you would stay the night, pay money to stay the night, 
they were very expensive and they were sketchy, you know. It's like those places. And, and uh, we were, me and a buddies, we, we had tickets to the Sugar Bowl one year, but we didn't have a place to stay. And so we go down there, and, of course, everything's booked up. We're 19, 20, you know, what do we know? And so we would pull up to a hotel, and you look, and it's like one big long hall, right? And you're like, and it's like, uh, I don't know, guys. I don't think this is a very nice place. They're like, well, no, all the nice places are taken. We got to stay in a dump, right? So the, the inns were not a place that you would want as an itinerant preacher or you'd want to stay. And so to be hospitable, to have brothers and sisters in Christ, they're traveling to and fro, stay at your place, that, that was helpful. Are you a, a pastor? Is he a lover of strangers? Will he give them the shirt off his back? I think a hospitable person is willing to lend what he has. But I got a new truck, and I don't really let anybody drive my truck. That's not being very hospitable. No, I mean, this is a Cub Cadet lawnmower, 42-incher. It's a nice one. No, it's not. I'm just kidding. You ought to be able to lend those things, give those things. You shouldn't, you can't be a lover of things. You can't like stuff too much, I think, if you're going to be a pastor. No, you're willing to, yeah, what do you need? Hey, if I got it, it's yours. That kind of, I think that's what it means to be hospitable. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 16. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Anisiphorus. Anisiphorus, yeah. For he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. He often refreshed me. He was hospitable to Paul. Yeah. The Good Samaritan. Remember the story? The parable of the Good Samaritan, right? Who is my neighbor? And Jesus answers by telling the story of the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan was hospitable. He didn't necessarily bring him to his house, but what did he do? He cared for him, took time, energy, his own money, his own supplies, his own stuff, and just gave it because it was needed. Yeah, a pastor is hospitable, lover of people, loves strangers, likes to give, likes to share, likes to help, able to teach. Now, I don't think this necessarily refers to the spiritual gift of teaching. And the reason I say that, flip back over to chapter 5 again. Verse 17, 1 Timothy 5, 17. Look at, look at this. I don't, I don't think this is referring to being spiritually gifted to teach here because 1 Timothy 5, 17 says that some elders didn't maybe teach or preach. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. And so, the, especially those, so there were some who didn't labor in preaching and teaching. So you could have a, a pastor who maybe they weren't gifted to teach, but yet they teach. Think, well, what is it? Well, you can teach. We have some of our small group leaders. They're not, they'll tell you, I'm not gifted to teach. But you know what they do? They teach the Word. They're faithful. You go to their small group. And it may be where they're reading a lot off a sheet of paper, but it's truth. It's truth. It's truth. Yeah. They're able to teach. They're able to instruct. And when they hear error, they're able to, ah, that's not right. Turn to Matthew chapter 6. See, they know the scriptures. They're able to refute false teaching. And then they're able to use the scriptures, they use the word, to disciple somebody and equip them to do the work of the ministry. I think that's what this is referring to. It refers to the process of replacing oneself. One of the key verses that drives a lot of what we do in our church is 2 Timothy 2.2. Paul tells Timothy, hey, the things you've learned from me, you teach the guys that don't know it, so they can teach, take that and teach other guys that don't know it. So the idea of replacing yourself, making disciples. So I think prospective pastors should be asked, whom have you replaced yourself with? If they look at you like, well, like maybe you're still a novice, maybe you need to 
grow a little more. Yeah. Able to teach. Have you replaced yourself? Are there men that you spent time with that they used to couldn't teach, they couldn't disciple, they didn't know much of anything, but now they're using the word and they're teaching other people? That's what a pastor does. Not a drunkard. People ask me this a lot when we do membership dinner. What's your idea? What's your view on drinking? Can you drink? Yeah, there's no prohibition in the scripture that says you can't drink, right? But there's a lot of warnings against it. So I don't ever promote it. A pastor, a shepherd is not one who takes a lot. He's careful with that, I think. He's not addicted to much wine because this lack of self-control leads to one being pugnacious, being violent, being a fool, right? But a pastor is not violent, but gentle. Tommy Nelson, he commented on this qualification. He says, does he have rabbit fur on his soul? Yeah, he's gentle. He can rebuke you, but he reeks you in a way that you can, it's palatable, you can handle it. Now, a pastor has to have backbone, I think. You have to sometimes, you have to stand up and say, no, this is actually the way it should be. Or no, that's wrong. We need to be careful about that. But they, they give a rebuke and they give it in a way that you can receive it. I used to do home repair work when I was in Louisville, just kind of odd jobs. I worked for my landlord and he kept me busy. And I was uh, in a little townhouse. A man was getting remodeled. His son had lived there. He said, you know, my son was a good kid, but he, sometimes he has a problem with his temper. And so I went in there to patch the sheetrock and the paint, and it had fist-sized holes all in the sheetrock throughout the house. So maybe we need to ask prospective pastors if, if he needs a sheetrock repaired. And we don't want to have to walk on eggshells around pastors, do we? Yeah. Talks about not being quarrelsome. Again, a pastor, I think, has to be willing to stand up for truth. But he, he doesn't necessarily need to be looking for a fight all the time either. How many of you like quarrelsome people? You know what it says about quarrelsome wives? Better to live on the top of a... How, top of your house and to live with a quarrelsome wife. Yeah, who wants a quarrelsome pastor? Yeah. Not a lover of money. His concern is people, not investments. Os Guinness, he says this about this description. If a man is drunk on wine, you throw him out. If he's drunk on money, you make him a deacon. <laughs> I like that. And, I mean, really think about it in our culture. If a man has a lot of money, he's done well in his profession or whatever, um, we think, man, God must have really blessed him. He must be doing something right. He must be smart. He must be powerful. He must be a leader. Is that always true? No. In fact, it's, be honest with you, it's hard to have money and not love it. Nothing wrong with having a lot. Nothing wrong with being blessed. We got some folks in our church that are blessed, and they're very benevolent. But it's hard to have a lot of money and not love it. The wise man in Proverbs said, don't give me too much, but don't give me too little. There's a reason for that, right? Not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well. And I think the description in verse 4 and 5 is, is helpful. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? And there's a lot of questions, and, and that's a great thing about small group. You can have these discussions. Small group leaders, you should talk about these things. What does that mean? Does that mean that all of your children have to be born-again believers? I don't think so. If that's the case, I should have never been your pastor, right? At the time when I became pastor, my children were small. They hadn't yet repented and believed. Yeah, look at the man's house. How's his wife respond to him? How's his kids respond to him? That tell you a lot about whether he can lead a, a flock, shepherd a flock, lead a church. 
I love my, my wife, loves to be at church. My children love to be at church. We, we go on vacation. They're like, when are we leaving and when are we coming back? It's because they don't want to miss Sunday. They want to be at church. And that's a good thing. And there's a lot of other questions, right? If you read the Titus 1, Titus 1, there's also a, a list of qualifications. You can look at those, and those are a little more confusing than these. But, yeah, what about, is there a, is there a time when a pastor's kids, they just abandon the faith, they go off the deep end and disqualify the pastor? I think so, Possibly. But I think this is referring to the children in the home. You know, sometimes children get grown and they go and live their lives and they're responsible for themselves and you can teach them in the way he should go, right? But when he gets old, what does he do? He does his own thing and he dishonors the Lord and dishonors you. And So they're, they open up a can of worms there. But, but how does he handle his household? Does his wife speak well of him? Does his children speak well of him? I, I think ask, ask a prospective pastor if they have, he has a wife, he has kids. Ask his kids. Hey, tell me about your childhood. Tell me about your dad. How did he discipline you? Did he teach you the word? Yeah, I think so. I think that's a good thing to do. Not be a recent convert. A, a pastor shouldn't be a novice. You don't want a greenhorn, right, or a tenderfoot leading the flock. Why? Because people who are young in the faith, they're just prone to be self-righteous. You see it all the time, don't you, young believers? They get excited about the Word. And God gives them some victory in life, gives them grace, and before you know it, they're self-righteous jerk faces, right? Yeah, I think uh, what this means is people have to experience grace in their life. That means they have to blow it enough where they experience grace, and they're humble Yeah. Be well thought of by outsiders. If all of these, I think all these other qualifications are met, then they'll have a good reputation with people in the world. Those in the community should think well of your pastor. And there's a lot at stake here, isn't it? Because... Um, as the pastor goes, so goes the church. And that's true in your line of work, whatever it is. If you're a, a teacher, as your principal goes, so goes the school. Yeah, leadership just kind of affects the, the whole group, doesn't it? Ken Hughes, he writes, What our leadership is in microcosm, the church will become in macrocosm. And that's what you do when you have a pastor search committee, isn't it? You have a pastor search committee, and you're talking to this prospective pastor. And you decide, yeah, I think this is our guy. What you're saying is, this guy here, how he conducts himself and lives his life, that's going to affect the group in a good way. As the pastor goes, so goes the church. A pastor has a... Someone who's qualified has a desire to shepherd people, to do the work of a pastor. And, and it's a wonderful work. Like I said, sometimes I'm looking out there going, why do you not want to do this? This is great. I have the greatest job in the world. I get paid to study the Bible. It's awesome. I get paid to meet with Jamie Edmondson on Thursday mornings at 7 o'clock. I get paid to meet with seven men Tuesday mornings at 5.30. These men that love the church and sacrifice for the church. Yeah, it's a great job. I have a desire to do that. A, a pastor has a desire, this desire to teach the Word and to shepherd people. But they, they also have the, the character that allows them to shepherd. And they have a resume that, because of how they handle their family that shows that he can lead people. And he has a testimony, a witness in the community that says, yeah, he's a, he's a moral man, he's a good man, he's a man that loves the Lord. He's respectable. He's honorable. What do we do with this application-wise? You think, well, this is for pastors. That's not me. Well, I think, firstly, pray that the Lord will raise up from within our church shepherds to lead us. Our church is growing. 
and I love my job. When I leave every day, there's a list. There's always a list. It's kind of like probably like Lonnie's job. He's a principal, and there's, you leave, and there's just a list of things that you can't get done. You can't stay there till it's done, you know. No, you just have to go home and pick up there tomorrow. But just pray the Lord raise up within our church other pastors, men that, that want to shepherd the flock, or that he'll bring us godly men that's going to embrace the vision of our church and, and want to shepherd and want to lead. So we can, we can have more influence over more people. So I think, firstly, that's what we do. Secondly, I think pray for me, that I'll grow in these areas. That There's no pastor ever, all of these qualifications, n- n- no, there's no one that's got, there's a 10 on all of those things, right? So pray for me as your pastor. Pray for Morgan as he's aspiring to be a pastor. Pray that we'll grow in, in, in these areas that we need to grow in. Because of that, what we did at our church is we set up some accountability. And I, I'm, I'm planning on, I've never been anywhere, like I said, I've never done anything I ever thought I'd be. Being, being a pastor of this church, total surprise. But I plan on being here forever. But that may not be the case. The Lord may take me home next week. If he does, don't cry. I'll be in glory. Right? But I don't know how long I'm going to be here. I think I'm going to be here forever. But when I leave, I want it to be when you have things set up where if you have a jerk face pastor come in here, there'll be some accountability. So what we did is we set up this thing where I meet with the personnel team. Their representative, Kevin Boozer, leads that team. I meet with him every year. And so what I'm saying is if there's some of these qualifications you think I'm lacking in or there's something you have a complaint, this is your chance. Okay, people? Go to Kevin and say, hey, these are some things that we need to see the pastor doing that he's not doing. We do that every year, and that's purposeful because I need accountability. I know there's areas of weakness in my life. And so he handles that really well. Hey, here's the things you're doing well. Here's things you're not doing well. And most of the time, I know those. Most of the time, I know them. Yeah, I know these things. That, that's areas I need to work on. He's, yeah, actually, that's what, the, that's what the congregation is saying. Every now and again, there's a surprise. You know, you have to have that one thing. We just throw the one vote out, you know, that's like, Something silly. He drives a Dodge. I want my pastor to drive a Chevy. You know, there's always that silly thing. But he really does that well. But we do that. So what I'm saying is, by way of application, if there's some issues in, hey, this should have been handled. This wasn't handled right. Or I don't like this or that. Talk to Kevin. We, we meet every year. And uh, we talk about those at year end. And, and those things need to be brought to my attention. I, I think, too... I think pastors kind of are, are, are special targets. Um, twice in this passage, verse 6 and verse 7, we see the enemy um, being mentioned. He must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace into a snare of the devil. So we see the devil right there at work. Um, a far side cartoon. Um, we used to go to my grandparents after church every Sunday, and the one thing that all the grandkids would do, there were 19 of us, but however many were there, we would pass around the comics, you know, of the Sunday paper. But there's a far side cartoon, and there's two deer talking to one another, and one deer has a big target on his chest, and the other one says, Bummer of a birthmark, Ernie, right? Um, yeah, I think pastors kind of are marked. If Satan can cause a church leader to fall, he can discourage many in the church, right? So pray, pray for me. I'd ask you to do that. And I, I think just pray for the congregation. Are you surprised by any of these qualifications? You're not. I mentioned that earlier. You're really not. You're like, well, that's what all people should be. Yeah. These are pastor qualifications, but it's qualifications that we all should seek to attain. We should have these desires to be all of these things. And like I said, there's, there's people here, many of us meet these qualifications, but you just don't have the desire to be a pastor. But you meet those qualifications, and I think, that's good, you should. right? So we pray for one another. And maybe lastly, and we do this every week, maybe are you part of the flock that is being led here at Beaver? 
Meaning not are you a part of our church. If you want to talk about that, we'd love to do that, tell you about our church. I tell people all the time, hey, you ought to, you've been coming here a while. Why don't we talk about what we believe and all that so you're not wasting your time? You know what we believe and kind of know a little bit about our church because you may be looking for something that we, we're not going to be. But I'm talking about people just part of the church universal. I mean, a pastor, I shepherd the flock. I don't, I'm not the, I'm not, I don't shepherd all of Tipton County. No, I'm, I'm shepherding Beaver Baptist Church. This is my responsibility, this flock. But for some of you, you're not a part of that. One, maybe you, just, you're, you come Sunday mornings and that's it, and you're not a part of our congregation. And we try to love you best we can. If you, if you die, we'll bury you. You know, if you have a need, we'll try to meet it. But for some, that maybe you're not just you're not a part of the kingdom of God, and you're not being you're not going to be shepherded by a pastor because you're not part of the flock. And the Bible teaches us that we're all sinners, and sinners must repent and believe. Must repent, meaning turn from your sin, live in a life for yourself, and you must believe the work that Christ has done for you. And why is that important? Well, we need God's perfect record, Christ's perfect record. We need his righteousness because we don't have it, because we're all sinners. And when we repent and we trust the work that Christ did on the cross, he gives us his righteousness. It's imputed to us. Miraculous. God does it. Only explanation. But we trust Christ. He gives us his righteousness. And because of that, we can be reconciled to God. But it only comes through Christ and the work he did for us. He died he was resurrected so we could be made right with God. Maybe you need to be made right with God. And, and we just had a sermon talking about the qualification of a pastor, which bored some of you to death. But maybe today you hear this gospel presentation, and you're like, yeah, I'm not part of the flock. And maybe it's bells going off, whistles, you know, the Holy Spirit's letting you know, I'm not a believer. I'm lost. Application for you would be repent and trust Christ's work on the cross as your own. Tell the Lord, I'm, I'm a sinner. I'm lost, and I'm going to go to hell because of my sin, and rightly so, because that's what happens to people who are in rebellion against God. But I don't want to be in rebellion anymore. I want to trust the Lord, and I want to follow the Lord and give him glory with my life. I want to be part of the kingdom. I want to know him as Father. I want to be able to approach the creator of the universe with boldness, not because of what I've done, but because of what Christ has done for me. And I want to be able to call him Abba Father. Won't you repent today and trust the Savior? Let's pray. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. We're going to sing us out of here today.